welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Hello and welcome to another DIFF podcast. And today we are joined by Ali Crosley, Managing Director for Distribution for LNG Insurance and a great supporter of DIFF and two of her colleagues. And it was in March 2020 during a Trailblazer podcast that Ali first talked to me and us about her intention to implement a reverse mentoring program within LNG. And I asked her, one, if she's able to do it, would she come back with a mentor and a mentee and we could do a follow-up podcast about how it went, what it meant to the company, what it meant for individuals. And I'm really pleased that Ali's here. So Ali, how did you set it up? What was the idea? What did you want out of it? And before we talk to the the mentor and mentee that you brought along, just run us through how it worked, how many sessions there were, etc. Hi, Barrett. Yes, it's my absolute pleasure to come back and talk to you and to your listeners about the uh, reverse mentoring program. So yes, we have set it up. We've completed the first phase of it. And the summary is it was massively successful and has resulted in all sorts of really significant actions across not just the insurance business, but across the LNG group. And in fact, reverse mentoring as a program is now being looked at by other divisions in the business, one of which has already kicked off the initiative too. So I guess, why did we do it? It came about actually, so I'm the sponsor of DNI for LNG Insurance, and I also sit on the group Steerco. And in talking to one of my ex-colleagues from my old company about this area, she told me about a reverse mentoring program she'd been running at Vodafone. And I was fascinated. I met up with her. We had quite a long conversation and I thought, let's do this. And the reason I wanted to do it was because it's essentially about helping people to put themselves in the shoes of others. And I guess it's it's specifically turning up the volume on the inclusion bit of diversity and inclusion. So for me, it's all about ensuring that people feel very comfortable to bring their full selves to work, that everybody is embraced and welcome and everybody is able to perform at their best, no matter their differences, their culture, their creed, the colour of their skin, their sexual orientation or anything else. It's about making sure that everybody feels welcome, feels understood, and that we as a business are mindful of any particular requirements to facilitate, enable optimum performance. And I guess when I say particular requirements, I'm thinking in that case, potentially about neurodiversity or maybe disability. And so we said, actually, we think that there are eight subgroups and we identified these subgroups and they were things like LGBTQ+, gender, age, neurodiversity, disability, and actually one called work status. The work status one was basically about people who are working 
compressed hours or part-time and actually I was assigned because I said look you everybody in the exec team you choose which group you want to be uh, mentored on and I just had the one that was left over if you like so this was a program that we started with the exec team I should have said that up front and with the thought that we would then cascade down through the business and I think that was absolutely the right thing to do because actually this is about attitudinal and cultural shifts and increasing awareness of the actions that we need to take around these different groups. And so even in work status, where I thought, well, what can there be to learn in work status? There was for me a massive amount. And even as I know I've said the word even twice, but I'm emphasizing really that I was surprised that in this group, I learned as much as I did, given that I had for a time been a single parent, never working part time, but I'd had the challenges of young children to bring up. And I'd had the challenges of, you know, getting home in time for the school pickup on all of these types of things, albeit never had actually worked part time. And I guess two big takeaways for me out of the work status group were one, never assume, never ever assume that people who work part time, male or female, aren't serious about their careers, because if you do, you'll miss great talent. And number two, don't be daft in terms of scheduling meetings like town halls and other big group company meetings at things like school pickup time, just thoughtless, unnecessary, so easy to change to be more inclusive of people who are working maybe part time hours or around school pickup. So there were some really small things that could be done very, very easily to make people feel more included and that they mattered. So we set up these groups. We had a long debate at the exec meeting. There was certainly some trepidation going into the process. Some people more relaxed and confident and comfortable than than others, I think it's fair to say. And some people quite concerned about how they would have some potentially quite tricky conversations. And we agreed very early on that we would have a facilitator for all of the conversations. So we had, generally speaking, we had one mentor, sometimes two, but one mentor, one mentee and a facilitator whose role was basically to ensure that the conversation stayed on track, that the rules of engagement, which had been discussed and agreed in advance between both parties were adhered to. And they kind of, as I say, facilitated the whole conversation and it worked incredibly well. It enabled the conversations to go smoothly. And I think it's true to say that most people had two or three sessions with their mentor and in the wrap up conversations afterwards, bearing in mind that I work with a lot of actuaries, people who don't necessarily spend so much time thinking about these types of issues. The feedback was incredibly powerful. It was quite emotional at times. Every single person who'd been mentored had a very, very positive experience and reflected on how it had shifted their mindset, how they were, you know, determined to think about inclusivity in a different way going forward. Everybody signed up to the concept of being allies, not just being sort of passively non-racist, but being actively allies and speaking up for people. And we all committed to prioritise a number of actions. So Ali, could you introduce us to the mentor and mentee that you brought with you? Yes, I'd be delighted to do that, Barrett. So we've got on the call David Ware, who acted as a mentor on the reverse mentoring programme. David was not only a mentor, he's also responsible for overseeing the whole DNI project, working really closely with me on a 
broader DNI agenda. And David was a mentor for LGBTQ+, and we'll come on to David. And then I'd like to introduce you to Morgan. Morgan is our CTO. Morgan was a mentee, and he was mentored in the area of gender. And so, Morgan, can we start with you? It'd be really great to hear from you. What were your kind of expectations of the programme? Any particular trepidations or concerns that you had at the beginning? Perhaps you can then just talk about what you got out of it and what you think we got out of it as a company. More, can you just say a few words on that? Yeah, sure thing. I think what I got out of it was, frankly, bluntly, I was educated on the subject of gender in the workplace. I mean, you make all sorts of assumptions or you just assume you know exactly what you're talking about. And then I found very, very quickly in the reverse mentoring sessions that I wasn't quite as clever as I thought I was on this subject. And it allowed us to open up a whole range of topics in and around gender. And it was really, really very very interesting and it made you look potentially at some of the opportunities and some of the challenges we have particularly in our industry in a slightly different way and um, it's really, really helpful. And Morgan, I remember actually, you know, when we had the exec playback session, when everybody came together and talked about their various experiences. And I remember particularly you talking about the fact that you've got a pretty grown up daughter and of course a wife. And therefore you were quite surprised at some of the things you learned. And can you just share with us some of the reflections you had in terms of types of experiences your daughter might have that you hadn't previously thought about? I had mentioned to my, my daughter, 17, and I'd mentioned to her that I was doing uh, the reverse mentoring and it basically I sat back and, and listened for about half an hour as she told me what's what on the subject basically I, one of the things I, I was very intrigued by I'd said to her you know it's really difficult to recruit girls into STEM courses basically from which we would then recruit into financial services or more particularly into legal in general and she gave me a hammer and tongs then on, on why STEM was not particularly attractive to herself and her friends and I mean if you brought it all down it's largely because of the way it's actually presented it's not really presented in a sort of gender neutral way it's very you know it's sort of a boy's toys and the weird thing is I've actually I graduated as a, an engineer myself and uh, if I look back to my days and I said this to her when I was at university there were 110 people in the class uh, 107 boys and three girls she then went on to say that parking that certainly in terms of how she looks at opportunities in the workplace going forward that she and her peers uh, her friends basically are far more proactive in the way they look at opportunities and I was quite surprised for example so she's very interested in, in pursuing a career in, in media or international relations that she'd actually reached out to some very famous news readers on the television just contacted them via Twitter basically asked them questions got responses in terms of guidance and I was really impressed with that this generation behind us my daughter's generation they're far more proactive and far more in control I think of their destinies than we ever were certainly when I was at her age back in the day and it's very very impressive so I got as much in actually sharing with her my experiences on the reverse mentoring program internally and I was able to bring them then some of her reflections back into the sessions we had internally. Talking about the next generation did you find that with your mentor that the next generation simply are not willing to put up with the monotone heteronormative environment that a lot of businesses especially in financial services have created they just simply won't accept it they will actually not be recruited by companies that are not trying to change that environment i think it would be fair to say that our generation are far more suspicious of of everything we live in a world where there is a lot of data and 99.99% of it is very poor quality and therefore they're very very suspicious about what they see, what they hear, what they read. 
and they are likely to do a lot more research and be far more discerning when it comes to analysing choices and particularly when it comes to careers because it's not to say you can't change path on your careers. I've done it twice myself, but you want to get it right from the get-go. Let's be honest, if you're going to invest in A-levels and third-level education, then you really do want to make sure that you're actually making the right choices and they are far more on top of it than I had ever assumed, I have to say. Can you say something about the actual process, perhaps going into the mentoring sessions and perhaps the role of the facilitator? And how did you find that? And were there times when it was a bit uncomfortable? How did you manage that? Can yeah, just tell us a bit about that whole experience? Well, the facilitator was fantastic, you know, a seasoned pro, frankly. And I wouldn't say it was uncomfortable, but he was very good at actually making sure that we did not drift off topic. So there were a number of resets, if I can put it that way, in the conversation between myself and my mentor who a lady with a very very strong views on gender very very strong views on on the female agenda and we had some interesting debate between us around where we actually take the subject so she was no shrinking violet that's for sure and that really helped me because it's really good to hear from individuals that got strong views on this stuff because it's one of these things that we sort of ignored and it was just ignored frankly the whole gender agenda for years i was getting it in my face frankly in the first couple of sessions and but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it but in fairness to as i said the facilitator he made sure that we narrowed that conversation around the topic and didn't drift off too far and how do you think it's actually benefited lng do you think that you've been able to bring back into business life a sort of new perspective on hiring on, on assessing on trying to create a more diverse team do you think this has actually either prompted you or given you more things to think about about how you go forward in putting together the, the team that was going to run the whole tech side of LNG. Little would I have realized when we started this journey that we would be reaching out to organizations like the National Autistic Society and you might say well what, what has that got to do with gender but the the gender sessions spawned a series of different conversations, not just about gender. So we're looking as a source of talent, basically, for the world I work in. My world is basically is change management and, and IT, so technology. The Women in Tech initiative, looking again at the STEM opportunities that I talked about earlier, because, you know, as I said, unless we actually create a throughput of girls coming through second and third level education with an interest in this area, then surprise, surprise, I'm going to be continually criticised for not actually putting enough female CVs on the table for roles that I'm trying to fill. So it spawned a range of different subjects and we've created a little team around that and shared it more widely with those that have a genuine interest in actually pushing these subjects forward. That's fantastic. I do remember there's a lady that spoke at our Senate event, Sherry Aitchison, and she started a women who code thing, but specifically orientated on the intersectionality of being a woman and a woman of colour and from a poor background, because those are the people that simply do not get into coding. If you ever want to look up her little organisation called Women Who Code, they are a good source of people that they go out into schools and try and speak to uh, ethnic minorities and underrepresented group females to say, you can do this. I'm well aware of this one. I've been tracking her on LinkedIn. She's fantastic. And if you don't mind me telling me, did your sessions inform 
you and give you some insight into sort of your personal life and how you chat to your daughter. I mean, obviously, it allowed you the platform to have a, a fantastic, what seems like a really frank and fantastic discussion with your daughter anyway. I would say my, I, mean, I clearly love my daughter, but I, I saw her in a whole different way on the back of that discussion because my daughter and indeed my son, who's just a couple of years older than her, they are extremely proactive and actually reaching out to people in industry for advice. And they do it and they don't even tell you they do it. And the reason they don't tell you is it is essentially normal to them. It's just things you do. And if I hadn't raised the subject of the gender mentoring sessions with my daughter, would I have known some of the things she had done? And I was hugely impressed by that. I don't think it's actually taken my relationship with her to a completely different level. It's a bit more peer-to-peer rather than just father-daughter. I think that's very, very ambitious of you to think you can be a peer to your daughter, though. I've got two daughters (laughs) and I know my place. And would you be happy, and Ali, I'm sure you're going to be carrying on, but we can discuss that later, but has this inspired you to be a mentee for another group or somebody else from another underrepresented group so perhaps you can learn a different perspective? And I know that you've already explored from a gender base neurodiversity and other sort of things, but... Is it something that it fired you up to do more? Absolutely. I said I thoroughly enjoyed the whole experience and I am the wiser for it. The key thing now is to actually to turn that into a plan of action. But there are other issues. Let's be honest. If you looked in the teams that we have that work in change in IT, they are very waspish and have been for very many years. So there are other things I think we need to do other than just gender in order to make it a more inclusive change in IT environment within our organization. Frankly, I've worked across the industry for 34 years. It's not unique today in general. This problem is everywhere in banking and insurance. Final question from me is your thoughts on people listening to this podcast about the value of going through this whole program. And when we talked about it as an exec right at the beginning, I think it's fair to say that there were a varying degree of caution around the whole program. Would it be worthwhile? A lot of time was invested in setting it all up and running the program. Your sort of thoughts on that? What would you say to people considering setting up this kind of initiative? Do it. You'll be amazed at what you'll get from it. And one thing you'll realise very quickly is perhaps how ignorant you are on the subject. For me on gender, I mean, I had confused gender with sex. And I mean, it seems almost ridiculous to say it now, but that was a starting point for me. So I would strongly advise people to do this because you will learn from it. And from that learning, who knows where you can take it and what difference that might make to the way you run your organization going forward. Just one more thing, Morgan, I think I'd like you as CTO to have your opinion on. Are we not at a critical moment with the development of AI that we have a much more diverse, mixed lot of people in technology, because if we are creating AI, which then machine learns and uh, any biases in there become exacerbated and entrenched. And then if the next generation of the whole world is going to be run by AI, we need a really diverse group of people driving that AI. It's interesting you should raise that. There's a, a major Gartner IT Expo happening this week. And one of the keynote themes yesterday from that was around bias, identifying and eliminating bias in decision-making. And not surprisingly, at the heart of that is the big push currently towards AI. So you're absolutely right. If you don't identify that up front, it will be there naturally in the way you actually create your AI technologies going forward. So I can't disagree with that statement. David, so obviously we've been working really closely together over the last 18 months or so on the broader DNI initiative for the legal and general insurance business. And I'd love you to tell us a bit more about your specific experience of being a mentor, why you put yourself forward to be a mentor for 
one of our eight subgroups, and that one was the LGBTQ plus subgroup. What was your motivation behind doing that? I think, you know, when we set out to design this program, we wanted to get a vast amount of experiences for the exec and, and the people who work with us. I put my hand up for the LGBTQ plus as a mentor. As you know, I was a facilitator for disability and neurodiversity as well. So I guess I had some skin in the game. I had a vested interest to make this work as being part of the designer for this actual program. What I was very surprised with was my experience being a mentor. So I was partnered with Paula Llewellyn and we talked on a vast range of LGBTQ plus sort of topics. So yeah, one of my uh, most interesting findings was that uh, Vodafone and Out Now did a survey in 2018 and actually found that 41% of 18 to 25 year olds went back into the closet when they started their first job. Uh, Three fourths of people who identified as LGBT plus have hidden their sexual orientation or gender identity at least once at work. And more than half were not out because they feared discrimination. And that one in five say that being open about their sexual orientation or gender identity is the hardest thing they've ever had to do. So that was just fascinating because I didn't think it was that prevalent within industry. So really touching on those topics talking with Paula about the diverse nature of being a gay man or a lesbian woman. We did also have another mentor. We had two mentors in this particular one, a lady called Emma Perkins, who was able to, again, sort of add colour to the different ranges of all the things that are in actually LGBTQ+. There's a lot of letters in that. And I know Paula went back and actually spoke to her parents and looked at some intergenerational thoughts and opinions on the topic. I know she also spoke to her daughter and there were some heated discussions uh, or interesting discussions in a car journey, I believe, that really allowed us to sort of understand another person's story and, and, and really fill in those sort of connected narratives. And David, in being the mentor, the impact on the mentee, in this case, Paula, it was quite significant and a number of actions came about as a result of this particular subgroup. But for you, what were your particular learning Things, I guess how you felt it might be to be a mentor versus how it actually was. What were your particular takeaways from that? Because obviously you're giving, you're sharing your experiences, but did it change your perception of, I guess, a heterosexual female? You know, were there any particular reflections you walked away with from your perspective on that? Yeah, definitely. I think the fact that we were able to sort of connect with our stories both equally was amazing. And I learned from Paula, Paula learned from me, and we both learned from Emma. But what I did realize is that Paula was an extremely compassionate person who was very honest and open about not understanding some of the stories that LGBTQ plus people face uh, some of the challenges, some of the su successes. And we, you know, we talked about personal stories, our first relationships, our first kisses, and how that looks in very different worlds and how maybe a heterosexual person wouldn't understand those challenges and maybe a, a gay man or a gay woman wouldn't have the same experience as someone in a heterosexual world, really. I think Paula really took it on and the program was structured for the execs not to solutionize, but to just connect with the different stories. And I really do feel that she did that. And I think we all, including the facilitator, learned from that discussion. I find that fascinating, Dave, because one of the issues I've always found, quite often with men, but certainly in leaders of both men and women, that they see every issue 
as a problem that needs solving. And sometimes that stops them from listening. So it's fantastic that you designed the programme to be aware of that and compensate for it so that there was a greater and deeper learning on both parties. Were there any shocks that you came across? Was there anything that you thought that you said that really startled Paula and or, or that she said that you went, that's unusual? The shocks. I mean, it was very illuminating, the whole conversation. I think what really hit home for me, rather than shocked me, but what really hit home was that this happened throughout COVID and we're in a time where connectedness has its challenges in the current day. So it's even more important to feel that sort of connectedness with the people we work with. And I think connecting with leadership, connecting with our people, but just connecting as human beings, that really resonated. And this is what the program allowed. And I think connecting the different worlds that we have come from and both the challenges and the successes that sort of allowed the participants to sort of meet at this mutual juncture. Because I do find that very interesting. We're here at the same spot, but how we got here is very, very different. And I think what sharing those connected stories just allowed us to really form a, a bond. And I think Nick Franklin, for example, he's how MD for FinTech at the time, said he and his mentor, he said it felt like meeting someone on holiday and really getting to know them and feeling very sad when the holiday was finished to say goodbye. And that's the connections that were formed through this program. And, you know, whilst we said we want the exec not to solutionize so they can connect, we also put a challenge to the mentor to not direct, not ask, just always offer experiences. So it's not like a them dictating, you know, why isn't this in place? Why isn't that in place? It's just a true connection. And that really, I think at the end of the day, everyone who participated really felt that. And I think, if anything, this is the time to do things like that. It's it's hard to form those connections in a COVID world. Yeah, David, I think that's really powerful what you just said. And it was quite a visceral reaction, wasn't it, from both the mentors and the mentees listening to some of the feedback after the programme, at the end of that first phase of the programme. And I guess for me, one of the things was that it's not just about recognising bigoted behaviour, racist behaviour, homophobic behaviour. It was, and calling it out, it was about the exec suddenly realising, actually, some people for the first time, that they needed to be allies, that they needed to speak up, stand up, and absolutely be allies for everybody, for each other. And this whole culture of zero tolerance was just a very powerful thing that went from being sort of quite passive to people feeling energised and wanting to be very active in terms of showing their support for each other, as I say, and I don't even like thinking of it in terms of subgroups, but of course we did have to divide people into subgroups initially. But in the end, it was just about inclusivity and giving people, you know, the space to, to come to work and be their true selves and optimise performance because they feel fully embraced and welcomed regardless of their background, sexual orientation or anything else. And that, you know, the whole allyship was very interesting, David, wasn't it? That the exec talking about the kind of behaviours they wanted to demonstrate going forward. Absolutely. And I think by the second mentoring session, it really gave rise, I think having these stories to connect with really gave rise to sort of deconstruct and unblock the challenges that others have faced. And then we sort of started looking at inside actions on the back of that to, you know, sort of better our work community and, and beyond. And each exec was given the task as you know, Ellie, to give you know, sort of five minutes on talking about their experience with the program, but then also five minutes about what are the inside actions they took off the back of it. And we did have 26 items come out of that, which is brilliant because you've got an exec team with skin in the game now. They're the ones coming up with the inside actions based off this experience. We did boil that down to 11. And as Morg mentioned, we have 
now partnering with the National Autistic Society, the Women in Tech. We're looking at our JDs uh, to be more inclusive for people with neurodiversity. We've, you know, anonymized, uh, if I said that right, anonymized uh, the recruitment tools. So many things. We've had a, a, a live town hall. It was very much focused on diversity, inclusion, inclusive tools kit. A bunch of things have come out of this. And I just do think it will make our community as a workplace and just as people a much better place to work and be in. That's fantastic. I mean, one of the interesting, we did a podcast with two gay guys for the mortgage industry. And one of the things that came out of that is that every time they moved jobs or every time they even moved teams, they felt like they had to come out all over again. And that was something that was very sort of for me, very palpable as heterosexual men, heterosexual women don't have to do that. They don't have to go and restate part of themselves to everybody. Nobody would expect a heterosexual person to turn up and say, hi, I'm heterosexual. Did you explore any of that kind of sort of how do you practically overcome those sort of issues at all? Absolutely. So we talked about trust versus risk. A nice little term was coined off the back of disability, actually, because there's a lot of social masking also in disability. But we called it time to authenticity rather than time to productivity. And that was a really interesting term because we explored that quite thoroughly. And we sort of started saying, well, how do we actually form trust at an early stage for people coming into the organization or even transferring within the organization? And that's why we sort of really sort of honed in on the Inclusive Teams Toolkit, which allows exercises for teams to actually get to explore one another's background and whatnot. We talked about having our JD saying that we're not just an equal opportunity firm, because I feel like every job advertisement out there says that, and it's been like that for 10 years. But why don't I have a statement about your LGBT friendly and supportive and having the rainbow flag on one of our job advertisements or really sort of doing that beyond just, you know, the month that celebrates LGBT uh, month or (laughs) Pride month, but really just sort of saying, okay, how do we connect with our people quicker and better to sort of form that trust? Ali, just to wrap up a bit, what's the next step? Are you going to carry on with the same people, different people? Where do you go from here? Or is it just, we've done it once, we'll give it a breather, bed in what we've learned and then do it again in 18 months or something. So, you know, what's the follow on? It's a really good question. So I think, you know, we've got lots of different actions coming out of the first phase, as we've talked about, and 11 key actions. So we're following up on all of those. I think one of my own personal reflections, having been through the programme myself, was I really wanted to be a mentee. I wanted to, to be a mentee on all of the subgroups and that would have you know obviously would take a huge amount of time and we could eventually get round to doing that but what we actually have done now is we've got information packs on each of the subgroup areas we've had lunch and learns on every one of them which everybody in the business has dialed into and it's been incredibly interesting to see how many people have actually dialed into those got a huge amount of support and engagement across the business regardless of whether people were actually involved in the program people want to know what we're doing in these areas. And so there's lots of education around the different subgroups now and and the actions that we're taking. We're also sharing the program more broadly across the business. Um, One of the businesses now started doing reverse mentoring and they're starting to do reverse mentoring in the US business too, the insurance business in the US. So it's spreading across LNG. Whether our next step is to set up a phase two where people are, are mentored in a different subgroup, this is the exec, or whether we cascade it through the 
business because, of course, it is very, very useful for the exec team to have had this experience. But we've got many senior leaders across the business who didn't have the privilege of that experience. And I'd really like to find a way to democratise the experience. And so we're thinking about how we can do that in a sort of cost-effective, efficient and effective way to sort of turn the dial. So there's lots and lots of things. We've been very much at pains to think about what the priority areas are, though. And as David's touched on, there are 11 of those out of a very long list of initial actions that came out of it, things that we think will really make a difference, such as blind CVs when we're recruiting have already made quite a difference to some of the shortlists in candidates, just as an example. Another one would be if we're aware that somebody has got autism, then just being more mindful about, for example, whether or not their desk chair makes them have their back to people and walking up to them. And that might make some people feel more anxious. So that would be a very easy thing for us to fix. Let's move their particular desk into a different position and that kind of thing. So we are taking some easy wins, some easy things that we can do, as well as some sort of longer term stuff. There's a long, long list of actions and David chairs our DNI Steerco and we talk through our progress on all of those actions each month and then report back to the exec team. So lots and lots of things going on, Barrett. Just to further Ellie's comments, those eleven initiatives that have come out of reverse mentoring is absolutely going to form our strategy for 2022. And I think another benefit that's come out of this reverse mentoring program is as Ali mentioned, we now have an executive of allies and they're they're so important. And you know, looking at this uh, survey, 83 or more than 3,000 LGBT plus people surveyed said they would prefer to work with an employer that has visible LGBT plus leaders and LGBT plus friends, allies and supporters. So I do think that the simple fact of allyship through this program has really made any company much more marketable to work for and much more inclusive in its own right. So the program really has helped uh, form our strategy for 2022. And yeah, we just really look forward to kicking on with it. I must say, I'm just hugely hugely impressed. And I'd love to have a view of those 11 actions one day. And, you know, and thank you both for sharing it. I think this is something that I hope a lot of other companies will take up. And certainly when I'm out having lunch with people, I will say you should be following LNG's lead on this. And, and again, thank you again for your support for the DNI Financial Forum because um, you are one of the big supporters and it's great. And I do think that the very simple fact that the one simple action of redacted CVs and a change in the makeup of the shortlist just sort of like makes me feel that that should be an absolute norm across the whole of the financial services industry. And there's no reason why any company should not be having redacted CVs. So thank you both very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I hope that you inspire the rest of the industry to do something probably, if everybody did something half as good as you, the benefits to the industry itself and to hundreds of individuals that work in the industry will be amazing. Thank you very much indeed. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, Make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.